Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years and have never lost my passion for comic books, something I try to pass on to old and new readers. It's Monday, November 13th, 2023, and this is episode 145 of the show. It's a different show, something I've never done before. Cover two Kickstarters on one show. Now let me give you a little bit of background. Michael Cass has been on the show several times promoting past projects. He's a favorite guest, and we have an inside joke that we play upon whenever he and I connect. Well, about a year ago, Michael brought on Ron Mars, Daryl Banks, and Keith Champagne to talk about a Kickstarter they were working on with Michael. From a standpoint, it was a dream come true. But with podcaster standpoint, I was a wreck. They were the biggest creators I had on the show up to that point. I wanted to make sure everyone got their turn to talk. I wanted to pull all things together and make sure everybody got what they wanted to do. It was a fun, fantastic show. It was a great success. Everybody loved it. Sometime earlier this year, I did a taping with Keith for his other Kickstarter. But that taping had a ton of technical issues. Couldn't be used. There wasn't enough time to even retape it. I felt horrible at the time. And so I was a little gun shy around Keith, but he took it in good stride. Life happens sometimes. Joining those two for today's show, we also have Keith's colorist, Rich Stanky. And the show's a little bit longer, but hey, we're covering two fantastic Kickstarter campaigns. All of it was great fun, there's good banner back and forth, and Keith told me again his Joe Kubert story. Now, there have been some subtle changes with the podcast, besides me getting my health back. It was not so fantastic for about three weeks. But I've added the YouTube channel. And with this show and some other shows, I'm going to keep doing it. You can find that link in the show notes. There's a new logo. And also in this past week, I switched rooms where the podcast had been for two years. I thought a new room would give me a fresh perspective and a different vibe. Let's see how it goes. And also being with this show, I removed the restriction of trying to keep it clean. It was something I've been thinking about doing after the show celebrated the second anniversary in September. And part of a different direction of why to take the show going into its third year. I think I want guests to feel free to express themselves with any sort of censoring on my part. Originally I wanted to watch the language because I never knew who was going to be listening. But I don't think who's listening or not listening is the point. There's far more offensive language out there than a few swear words that somebody might hear on the podcast. The point of the podcast is to provide fans with information so they can come back again and again to find fantastic comic books and creators. So, if you're new to the podcast, thanks for checking it out. I hope you continue to do so and sample past episodes. Look at the show notes, follow the podcast on social media. It's wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe to the podcast. I want the podcast to continue to grow and, as I said, introduce fans to a different way of discovering and reading fantastic comic books. And Kickstarter campaigns. I do so many of them. They're so important. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed today's show. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Welcome Ooh. back to the podcast. We have a very unusual uh, setup this time around. We are promoting not one, but two Kickstarters at the same time. We have returning Michael Katz. We have... Campaign. We have Rich Stanky, who is uh, the colorist involved. Um, Rich, you are the first time guest around. I want to know your comic book origin yes. story and how you got into comic books and became a lifelong fan. It's always my first question. Okay. Um, I threw I, for a loop. I'm, I'm, I'm 54 years old and I've been reading comics since I was at least four. Nerd. Uh, I remember buying, or, or me not buying, but my parents buying me and my older brother comics back in the 70s, the spinner rack at the convenience store, and my mom reading comics to us. And I remember walking around, and, and I, I, I give credit to comics for teaching me to read, or at least helping me learn to read. By the time I started kindergarten, I could read, and I, I credit comics with that. Because I think that the marriage of the, the pictures and the words helped me put everything together. Um, and I remember walking around, I have a specific memory of walking around with this one Western Marvel comic that had no cover on it. It was beat all to hell. 
but that was what I considered my first comic book. And it was, I remember it was dated 1974. So I know I was four years old at the time, but I, I loved the artwork of it, the attraction of the superheroes. And back in the seventies, of course, you know, that was the age where you had a Spider-Man TV show and the Incredible Hulk was on TV and Batman, the sixties Batman show was in reruns. So we watched those. So I was all about superheroes and I, and I always liked to draw. So the artwork and, you know, the dynamic and action-packed stories attracted me to comics. And I just never really gave up on them. I, you know, I stopped buying here and there, like in, in college for a year or so, I stopped buying comics. But for the most part, next year will be 50 straight years of me buying comics. And, and I've always loved to draw and just have always loved comics. So you didn't even have to stay your age. All you had to do was mention Spinner Rack and that carbon dates you right away. <laughs> yeah, that, that dates me. Yeah, that that's yeah, the convenience store hunt for that latest issue in case you missed it. And convenience stores, people don't realize that you had to go hunt and peck through all these stores to try to find your comic book. You never knew when it was going to be there. And comic books yeah. back then were frowned upon. Nobody let you read comic books. Teachers hated it. But that's beside the point. Um, Michael, I want to go mm -hmm. right to you. Tell the fans a little bit about yourself and why you decided to get into comic books uh, as a writer and a publisher. Um, I decided to get into comic books as a, a get-rich-quick scheme. <laughs> How'd that go for you? <laughs> <laughs> Just didn't work out like I expected. So that's why you kept your day job. Yeah, yeah I'm a lawyer by day, a uh, writer on the side. I uh, started my own publishing company in 2002. Uh, Strider Nolan, and I started creating comics about four years ago at this point. Uh, I released my books through Kickstarter because the direct market is so flooded and so difficult right now. And wonky. Uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, I, I do have some irons in the fire about some future possibilities, so you know, keep your fingers crossed. Uh, meanwhile, I mean, I've, I've worked with talent like like Ron Mars, Daryl Banks, Kevin McGuire, and some guy named Keith Champagne. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who's who, Keith Champagne? Who's Keith Sh Keith? Who are you? Tell people who who you are. Who you know? What you've done? A little bit about. Is you. that a Remember, or what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sort of a mystery wrapped in a legend. Uh, you know, in good case one. Good. Nice. But uh, I'm a lifelong uh, comic book fan. I think when I was about three, I fell in love with comics. And uh, that was always my my dream job was to grow up and become a comic book artist. So when I was uh, 22, 23, I broke into the industry. And now 30 years later, I've wasted my entire adult life, um, you know, working for DC and Marvel and Dark Horse. And uh, nominated for, you, you were nominated that. for a few awards along the way. Is that true? Yeah, a couple here and there, but that doesn't really mean anything. It's just whatever. If you won them, right? if you would have won a few, then they might mean a little bit more, possibly. Maybe yeah, you know. I don't think they do. You know, see, you know, I the, like that. I think the you know, if it doesn't get you more work, it doesn't really matter. If it doesn't get you paid faster, it doesn't really matter. So I don't think like winning, you know, um, what are the the Ringo Award or or an maybe an Eisner Award would help. Uh, really does much. I think it's just, you know, it feels good and it, the recognition is nice to be nominated, but it doesn't matter. I, this I heard you're, really you're up them. for a Grammy as a karaoke DJ. <laughs> I am probably the world's greatest karaoke singer and if we ever go out, I will karaoke the fuck out of all you guys. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a very special podcast because this is the first time that Keith and Colors Rich are meeting face to face for the first time. Is that correct? Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. I've been working with Rich for a couple of years now on different things. He's a fantastic color artist and also a really good storyteller. Yeah. Um, yeah, go on. Oh, that's sweet. Well, that's so, so sweet. Uh, yeah, go on, Keith. Go on. Let's t tell us some more. Make Rich feel good. Tell us more, Keith. Tell us more. Yeah, tell us, like, make him feel good. No, well, but the most important thing to me, and I, I made this comment in several interviews. In the past couple of years, is I've just reached a point in my career where I don't want to work with assholes anymore. And Rich is a super nice guy. I like him enormously. I mean, we've never met in person, but he's very fun to banter back and forth with. He's a hard worker. Uh, he does a great job. So he checks all the boxes. And I think he has a cool story, too, because 
he didn't really break into comics until he retired from his uh, his career. So he's like comics oldest rookie, uh, finally, you know, kind of finally living out his dream uh, job, you know, all these years later. So it, I think that's kind of amazing. And I love uh, when I can give him work um, and, and kind of help him on his way. Rich, tell us about that. How did you become the, the, the world's youngest rookie? And why of all things did you decide to be a colorist of all things? Oh, God. Um, well, I've been tinkering with making comics for close to 20 years. Um, I do produce my own comic. You see that? Drunken Monkey. Drunken Monkey, yeah. So, I mean, that's that issue there is from 2004. That's sometimes me on a Saturday night, I have yeah. to admit. <laughs> um, so I've been, I've been making comics and playing around with it for quite a while. But not, you know, I, I've got still imposter syndrome because I'm, I'm not a pro. I mean, I get paid now to do some comics work here and there, but I'm not paying my bills with it. But what, what Keith was talking about being the oldest rookie was I, I retired from being a police officer a couple of years ago. Greg, thank you for serving the, the community and where you're at. You're uh, I really do respect people who do that type of thing. Thank, thank you. you. I really enjoy retirement a lot better than I did the job. <laughs> so when I was working, you know, this, the comics thing was just something I did to amuse myself here and there. So I, I put out five issues or so of the book in the early to early to mid two thousands. And then like every two years I'd, I'd roll out another issue when I got around to just knocking it out. And, and I do everything. I, I write it, I draw it, do the colors or grayscaling for the black and white issues. And, and I've even lettered the last few issues of it. And it's out of necessity. It's, um, you know, I had to teach myself to use Photoshop because there was nobody else around to do it. So I fell into this coloring thing that I've, that's, that I've been doing the most work on for the past year and a half or so by accident. And primarily Keith has become my patron for it is there's a, there's a comic artist that lives here in the Charlotte area where I live that I got to know from the local shows called Andy Smith. And Andy was working on with a Keith on a story that eventually ran in heavy metal. And I went by Andy's house completely unrelated to, to pick up some books he was giving me for a, a charity donation. And we were hanging out in the studio and he was telling me what his projects were going on. And, and he mentioned that he was having trouble with a colorist he had been using that was in, I think, India. It was somewhere overseas and he just lost contact with this guy. He didn't know if he was dead, alive, if he didn't want to work with him. Anymore. He didn't know what was going on. But he needed something like 40 or 60 pages done in like two, three weeks. And there's no way in hell I was going to be able to produce that kind of work. So I was, I was still working at the time. But then he mentioned he had like a 12 pager with Keith that needed colors too. And so I, I said, well, you know, I can probably help you out with that. You know, do you, you need that within a couple of weeks or three weeks or something? That, that's, that was reasonable for me to do in my spare time and knock out. And Andy, God bless him, was kind of like, yeah, I don't really know because I've never seen your color work. And he, and he was a little dismissive of me at first, but he's, but I said, well, give me a couple of pages. I'll do it as a tryout. And if you guys like it, show up to the writer. If you like it, you know, I'll do it for whatever you were going to pay the other dude in India. So I did a couple of tryout pages. Andy, I guess, showed it to Keith. Keith liked them. So I got to do those story installments that ran in heavy metal. And that was my first professional paid work that actually went into a publication that was available in stores and, and widely distributed. I've, I've contributed as a writer and artist for small press stuff here and there over the past few years, but that was my first pro work. And that led to Keith, God bless him, has kept throwing me bones and, and it's led to one thing after another with him. Very impressive story. Thank you for sharing that. That's yeah, very I fell cool. into my accident, basically. Now, Michael, when you reached out to me, you said, I'm bringing Keith on in this. Why did you decide to gang up on me and bring up Keith with two Kickstarters and bring this all together? And how did you meet Keith in the first place? Why did you decide this type of format between the three of you? Well, we um, we knew we were running Kickstarters at the same time. So we decided you know, we tried you know, helping each other out, cross-promoting each other, uh, you know, ride each other's coattails. So um, it's the other uh, way around. Uh, You're writing Keith's coattail. Let's get the story straight here. <laughs> no, actually, Mike's campaign is is beating mine right now. He's, uh, <laughs> okay. Okay, um, so yeah, so we're just uh, you know we're just trying to uh, to be in an informal team. 
on, you know, for Kickstarter, I guess. So, you know, I'm trying to, uh, I'm, I'm the one responsible for setting up podcasts. So I'm trying to, to bring Keith along every time I, I, you know, I can get one done. Hey, Keith um, is welcomed anytime you're, you're along. He's welcomed at any time. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, um, we've known each other for a few years. We connected on, um, one of my books, Golden Years, where he, he inked, you know, three of the five issues and, uh, yeah, we became buds, you know, and, uh, he's also done lettering for all of my books and, uh, he's, uh, He's the editor for my latest book, uh, Metalhead. Tell us a little bit about Metalhead. It's a little bit different than what you've done with your past projects. And is it connected to your universes that you got going on with your other projects? Um, it does not share the same universe. Um, so far, all my projects stand alone. Uh, you know, like Riot Earp takes place in the future. Golden Years in the Present. Uh, my next book, Horror Show, takes place in the 70s. Um, Metalhead can take place at any time, really. It's uh, you know, it's just a fast-paced, action-packed sci-fi book about an alien invasion. Um, it's got some nudity in it, so it's different in that respect. But um, otherwise, I think it's the same writing style I usually do, which is, you know, Excellent. I focus on... Yeah, focus on characters first, and then hopefully just entertain the hell out of the reader. Keith, what's your Kickstarter about this time around? You've got a couple things going on with that one. <clears throat> yeah, so what I'm running right now is called the New Pain 2-in-1. Um, you know, New Pain is the name of my publishing company. Uh, the first part of the 2-in-1 is a book called uh, NPC Jump. NPC stands for New Pain Challenge, which I'll get into in a second. Uh, but the genesis of Jump is basically that I like writing first issues. Um, I find it a challenge. I like to get all the puzzle pieces, you know, onto the page in a way that doesn't feel expository, especially. And I got to thinking to myself, I want to do a series that somehow it's all first issues. And, and that's what the Jump is going to end up being, is that every issue is going to be, you know, issue two will be issue number two. But it's also approached very much like a first issue in that in the way that issue number one ends, uh, it doesn't end on a cliffhanger. It ends in a brick wall. There's no way for the story to keep going. And the challenge part of, of this book is that throughout the book, uh, there are clues. There are little hints as to the different plot elements that I'm going to use uh, to keep the story moving into the second issue. But when the second issue rolls around, I'm sorry, let me just finish that thought. Um, so the challenge part is, you know, the backers of this book, I want them to guess, you know, there's a, there's an email address that's set up and it's going to be printed in the book. And after they read the book, I want people to take their best guess as to how we're going to keep going with this thing, because there's no possible way to continue telling the story, but there is. And then whoever uh, gets closest to it becomes a character in the second issue. Very innovative. Very cool. Um, it's just a way to, you know, uh, I don't know if it's a marketing hook or what, but a way to try to make it more interactive uh, for the reader and and just have fun with me. Um, but anyway, when the second issue does come around, uh, it's such a, all the same characters are going to be in the second issue, but it's all remixed and scrambled in a way where it's another first issue, like, you know, where it's like, whoa, this is like the same thing, but completely different than it was. And it, it'll make sense when people read the second issue. I finalized the script for the second issue like last week and I'm really happy with it. I'm really happy with the way the story picks up and uh, I'm excited to, you know, to kind of get this out. So it's going to be four issues and every issue is going to end in a way that there's no fucking way this book can keep going. Uh, and then every issue, there is a way if people can figure it out, they're going to be part of the story. And you have a, don't you have another comment that go, that goes in the back end of that? Is it a yeah, pin-up? I do actually. So, uh, the other, the other part of this campaign, the, the second part of the two and one, is a book called Uncovered. Um, and basically, over the past you know two years that New Pain's been publishing books, I've had a lot of my 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 big two artist friends come in, and you know they've done varying covers for us. And uh, so I'm just doing a book that collects all this amazing artwork, much of it colored by Rich, actually. And uh, it's just a way, you know, for the art lover. 
to just have some really cool shit in their collection to flip through if they're bored or whatever people do with these these you know pinup books. Rich, do yes. you actually have any people that you actually look at for a colorist? Or you just do you have any like mentors or something? Um, because one of my favorite things, I always call him the other Stan, was Stan Goldberg, who you know worked in the 60s and he was involved with a lot of the coloring for Spider-Man, Fantastic Four. He was an artist and really the model. As a colorist, do you have any like mentors or things you look at, or how do you approach all that? I don't know how to say this, but it's going to sound vain. So I'm going to explain. No, why go I'm ahead. It, I don't. And it's not because I don't have room to improve. And it's not because I, I don't want to improve or, or you know don't want to hear criticism or, or tips. Is I'm at a point where I largely, I don't buy a lot of current comics. I, I do see stuff online and I do find myself now paying a lot more attention to the colors and I just kind of study. And if I see an image that looks good, I study it. I don't necessarily go and seek out who did the work, but I, I study the picture and look for, you know, I, I start looking for, you know, I think they used a filter on this. I think they did a color hold here. You know, that's a cool texture they used or whatever it is. Um, but I, I don't really pay a lot of attention necessarily even to, creator credits anymore and uh, i guess that's bad considering I, I do love comics but I, I generally buy older comics when i do spend money i collect older issues um so current stuff i, I just don't pay a lot of attention to even like i'm a huge daredevil fan so I, I still buy daredevil i couldn't tell you who the artist is for daredevil volume 27 or whatever it is they're on now um i just don't i don't really pay attention much to it um unless it's somebody who I was already familiar with, like Ron Garney, when he was on the book a couple of years ago, three years ago, you know, I, I knew Ron Garney's name and I knew his work already from, from years back. So I knew that, but, you know, I just don't pay a lot of attention to, to the credits anymore. Um, and coloring today is just so vastly different than it was in Even the early years 90s. Ago, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. It's the, and I will say that, Color work has just vastly improved so drastically, and the, and the the implementation of Photoshop has elevated the artwork in comics, from, you know, drastically. There's always been great artists who do, you know, good work, and there's you know your master draftsman like a John Buscema or whoever, but you know the color work can take a mediocre artist like me and elevate it and just make it look good. And, and I know within the pros and Keith can weigh in or whatever, you know, you can see crap artwork that looks pretty good because it's been very well colored and you can really you know, elevate a, a book's overall artwork and look to it. So I, I just, I can't name anybody because I just don't pay attention to it. Um, so yeah, hopefully no. that, you know, like I said, I, I don't want to come around like an ass. No, you did by saying no, but I just, what just, I just don't pay attention to the names. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, um, who are some of the contributors to your current project and what are some of the tier structures involved? Uh, well, as for who's involved, I mentioned Keith. Um, my artist is a guy named Bruno Abdias. Uh, a few months ago, he won the, the Top Cal Comics talent search for 2023. And just this week, I found out he's going to be drawing Cyborg for DC Comics. Impressive. So I um you know I, I got Neto Diaz to do art for Golden Years and he went on to work for Marvel Comics. So apparently I can pick out you know pretty good talent and you know maybe predict who's going to strike it big. I got a question Man, for you. Maybe Michael. this is my shot. Maybe working with Mike is gonna bring me up to the big time. <laughs> Michael, um we everybody but me. We always talk about your ethnicity and I'm not, I'm curious, do Jews believe they have a soul? <laughs> well, because I'm just wondering, because I'm wondering if he's like sold your soul to get all these great creators. He just has <laughs> this Rolodex of creators. I'm like, how the heck does a lawyer out in Pennsylvania know Ron Myers, well, Keisha Payne, Daryl Bates, and now the cyborg artist? And I'm like, really seriously? I'm like, you know, I do have a soul, okay. but if if you saw my checkbook, you know, I didn't sell. It. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, what about? Uh, so, what else? Do you, do you have some tier structures for your um, campaign, Michael? Um, I have a ton of tears. Um, Talk you know, a people, few, a few things. 
Yeah, people people actually keep asking me to add stuff that I'd forgotten to put as tiers or, or add-ons or whatever. Um, so you got the digital, you got the hard copy, you got not safe for work variant covers, um, you got pinups, you got original art commissions by Bruno Adias plus Fred Bennis and Daryl Banks, who are my usual co-workers. Um, as add-ons, you get my prior comics, including Metalhead Number One, uh, the Riot Earp Collection, and the Golden Years Trade. Impressive. That's very cool. What about you, Keith? What is your tier structure looking like? I mean, we have a, you know, the typical digital flash physical book combos. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Also, uh, remarks versions of the book. I'm doing remarks, uh, limited number of remarks. Uh, we have uh, naming rights. You can be, you know, the character will carry your name. There's also a female character uh, that you can be named after if you pick up that tier. Uh, a lot of original art, you know, the cover art from uh, Pat O'Leaf and um, Paul Pelletier, uh, Freddie Williams III. Uh, I did a cover too. So that's, that's the cheapest one on there. Someone must have grabbed, grabbed mine. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, T-shirts, new paint T-shirts. Uh, as a stretch goal, Rich has done a cover for the book in homage to uh, Spider-Man 300, Amazing Spider-Man 300 with the jump, which we're hoping to unlock when we get that far. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of fun stuff there. And also, you know, the back list of books that we've done is also available, Daybreak and uh, CUDA, which is the one that Rich was talking about before, um, the Switch. You know, all, all the stuff that I've published is, is up there, too, that you can grab. And then next week, I'm going to add a couple of things that I shouldn't add, like um, stuff that I that I sell at conventions. Uh, I have an issue of Green Lantern that I have put together for DC, and they never published it. So I have the files, and I've been publishing my own bootleg version for a few years now. And so I'm going to, I'm going to add that as kind of a down-low uh, add-on. And also, I have an issue of Superman by Rick Leonardi that I wrote. Um, that I'm going to add up there too. Just, you know, a little, you know, a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here's something that you guys are never going to get to read otherwise. So if you want to add it to your campaign, I'll there get a couple is. copies up to you. Keith, you're also a graduate from the Coover School. You graduated back in 1994. And that was before the internet and all these changes in the comic industry. Do you think going to an art school is still viable today for people that's starting off or is it kind of different? Yeah, so that's a good question. I don't, I'm not an expert. I'm just curious. Anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think anything that you can learn in an art school, you probably can train yourself through a YouTube video or, you know, an online tutorial somehow these days. Uh, but I think what you can get from an art school is uh, camaraderie of your, of your students, the one-on-one -on -one, uh, instruction that you get. Like, you know, the Cuba School for example is all taught by professional artists so you're not going to be able to take advantage of their experience their skills their critiques their uh their connections um when the time comes when you so, were there when you were upside when you were there what were some of the people that you learned from do you remember um, that far back it's just hard no i mean some of my favorite uh people in the world were my instructors at the time you know the ones that Ones that comic book fans would know. I mean, Joe Kubert obviously was, uh, you know, the marquee name of the school. But also, there was an anchor, uh, Tex Blaze Dell, did a lot of work for for DC in the sixties and seventies. Didn't he, he also a, do a lot of westerns? Yep. See, I did, I did my grizzled, homework. Yeah, he was a grizzled old veteran. Uh, when when I got to know him, uh, took no shit from anybody. Speaking of uh, taking no shit from anybody, when you get done talking about Ted. Tell that Joe Kubrick story that Rich doesn't know that I love and, you know, but go ahead. Make sure you get that. Oh, into sure. you. Yeah. No, so oh. there was, there was Tex, there was Tex, there was a uh, high Eisman who uh, did a strip called the cats and Jim kids for years. Did, did the Popeye newspaper strip for years and years. Uh, still alive. He's like a hundred years old now. He just retired. Oh, really? from Popeye. Yeah. Okay. Um, Kim DeMolder, who was inking John Burns. She held graphic novel when, uh, when I met him in the school. Um, that's a good graphic more. novel, by the way. I like that one, the She Hawk. That yeah. was a really good graphic novel. Yeah. A guy named Lyman Daly was my um, my life drawing teacher, a great guy, uh, really understood anatomy, 
he would draw a strip of the bodybuilding magazines. Um, and he always had a great story about something or other. You know, there's that's the kind of stuff you can't get online. What was Joe Cooper are, like? I mean, he, he was there and alive at the time, but what, what, what was he like? I'm just curious. Uh, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people that knew Joe better than, than I did. I know I knew Andy and, and Adam better than I did Joe. But I can't think of a bad word to say about the guy. He was just very salt of the earth, you know, very down to earth. Um, just a nice guy, you know, had a good sense of humor uh, and just a brilliant artist, but not pretentious at all. Like very, you know, easygoing about his you know, man with talent. You had an uh, arm wrestling contest with that man. How did that happen? How did it come about? And what exactly happened? And he wasn't a young buck at the time. Am I correct? No, he, uh, so, okay, I'll tell the story. You're going to. I've got him hook, line, and sinker. I've got him to tell the story again. Go ahead. So in the, when I was in the third year of the, of the Cuba school, I was uh, 23 years old at the time, kind of a young buck. And uh, we were kind of bored in class one day. And so I arm wrestled my class. Like one at a time, I had, I think, 12 or 13 other kids in my class. We, I just arm wrestled everybody and I beat everybody one at a time. So, uh, you know, you know, Andy certainly advised me not to do this, but I was like, you know, I'm going to challenge Joe. Joe. Joe had a handshake that would, you know, that would crush uh, a grizzly bear if he shook the bear's hand. You know, he was a strong, strong fella. And it's in the 70s at the time. In the uh, 70s. So, yeah, That's he was the in the 70s. Part. And I, I was, you know, in my early 20s. And uh, uh, we locked up. And as soon as I locked hands with Joe, I regretted this decision to challenge Joe to arm wrestle. Cause I could just feel like the strength in his arm. As your fingers crushed. Oh, it was, you know, I, I think I tinkled a little in my pants uh, at that moment. And How long did and it he, last? How long did it last? Did you at least give him a fighting effort? No, no, I tried, but he just crushed me. Maybe a half a second later. I was humiliated. I got beat by my grandfather, basically. Basically got beat by him. So 23-year-old yeah. Q Champagne got his clock clean by a 70-something-year-old Joe Cooper. Is that is that pretty much it in a nutshell, Keith? Is that it? In a nutshell. But it's, you know, one of my favorite memories now of looking back. We just lost Rich somehow. He'll come back. And there's a, He's there. No, there he is. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, one of, my fa- one of my favorite memories. I also remember, you know, not Did you tell the whole huge this. story over again about arm wrestling? I think I missed the whole thing. <laughs> I'll text it to you. Because also, okay. you know, when, when, I, when I was in my first year at the Cuba School, we had uh, one of my instructors, a guy named Aaron Hazen, who uh, he was in, involved in the creation of Green Lantern back in the early days, the 40s and 50s or whenever that was. And he did a newspaper strip called Dondi for years. And I had the opportunity to pencil some pages professionally. Um, but didn't have a lot of time to do it between homework and I had a job outside of school. And Erwin had a, you know, he was my narrative art teacher. And so I had an assignment for him to do, you know, three narrative art pages. So I said to him, Erwin, what if I was to just, instead of drawing your assignment, what if I could, could I do three pages of this and then use it as your assignment? It's still three pages of storytelling. And he said, no. And I was like, so we got into kind of an argument about it, myself and this tiny little man who was like in his late 70s at the time. And I was like, okay, Erwin, that's fine. I'm just going to shit out your homework. And I'll, you know, I'll put my effort into this other stuff. And he got so offended by that. He's like, how's that supposed to make me feel when I see you? I'm going to be like, oh, this little shithead, you want to shit out my homework, you fucking shithead. And, uh, and I felt so bad about that argument at the time. Like, I can't believe like I'm fighting with Erwin Hazen. Uh, but now it's one of my favorite memories of the world. It's like arguing with Erwin back in the day. And the same with Joe. It's one of my favorite things, like getting crushed by Joe. I love that story. That's one of the stories I tell everybody that comes on. It's the Joe story, Joe Cooper story with you I tell people. And then the Michael Katz story that I tell everybody that Michael knows about. Michael, you're, mm-hmm. you have a – were you done, Keith, by the way? I'm sorry. Were you done? Oh, yeah. No, I've talked plenty. I'll show up the rest okay, of the time. Okay. Because we got to go back to Michael. Then we got to go down to Rich before Rich falls asleep on us. So we're going to go back to Michael first. No, I'm going to eat this up because I, I've met Erwin well, when he was alive. And he was the nicest man. So the right? fact that you've made him curse and, and get all pissed <laughs> off at you is fantastic. Because I love talking to him. He was he was such a gentleman. He, he'd show up to Healer's Con wearing a suit and tie. And he was always on the floor before everybody. 
you know, he was a, a consummate professional. You know, it'd be like, you know, 30, 45 minutes before they opened the doors. Everybody else is, you know, barely showed up or at their table or anything. And he was there set up and ready to go. And he was just the sweetest dude to talk to. No, he was. I mean, I'm the dickhead in that story. Like, it's not Erwin. It's, I was the problem, not him. <laughs> you're not a dickhead. Well, okay, maybe back then. I don't know. Um, Michael, you're this time around, you actually have some nudity in your project. I was surprised about that because I just didn't think you would do nudity. And this also going to dovetail to, to Key because I believe his other, oops, his other book also has some nudity in the pinups. Both of you, how did you guys decide to make nudity? And I'm sure it's more for a reason than just to be smutty, like the old time type stuff. So what was the rationale behind including nudity in both your projects? I'm just curious. Michael first. Yeah, um, for me, um, Metalhead is a bit of an homage to Heavy Metal Magazine. So it's got nudity and it's got some bad words in it. Um, I was, I was exposed I was shocked, to the Michael, Heavy Metal movie. I was shocked, Michael, because I mean, I think he was just, you know, this conservative lawyer. And, you know, next yeah. thing you know, he's got boobies right there. And I'm like, geez, Michael, you surprised me. But no, go on. Yeah, I um, I saw the Heavy Metal movie at an early age. I was like... 11 or 12, and I had a friend who had access to movies like that and Animal House and adult stuff like that. And I mean, that, that wasn't easy to find that stuff back when there was no cable. You know, like we're talking like 40, 40 something years ago. Um, so, yeah, I always loved Heavy Metal Magazine and the, the, you know, the adult stuff to it. And um, the story, it just had um, just some. Uh, uh, adult situations that uh, that I thought fit with the story. Um, plus, yeah, plus I do, you know, hope that the, the not safe for work stuff, you know, brings in some people that might not otherwise, you know, pick up the book. Keith, what about you? How do you approach duty well, in your projects? I mean, I'm not approved by any means. Uh, We've done some nude covers for my Daybreak project. And that was really a case of uh, several of the backers messaged me. And I even had lunch with one that lives here in Connecticut. He reached out. I was like, hey, I don't live that far. Can we grab bites? So I was like, sure. I'm a man of the people. Um, uh, and they asked me, like, have you ever thought about doing a nude cover? Like, I think people would like to buy nude covers from you. And I was kind of on the fence about it. Uh, but we gave it a try with number two, and and uh, you know my partner Tom Nguyen, uh loves drawing you know sexy women and, and naked stuff like that, so it's right up his alley. So we gave it a shot, and it did what it did pretty well. And so we did one for the third issue, and now those are being reprinted in the you know the uncovered book, and Tom's doing a new one for the uncovered book also, which hasn't been announced yet. So I guess I just did. There but you, go. Uh, you know, to me, I I could really give a shit it's just if people want to spend money to buy that stuff i'm happy to put it out there it makes a project more successful i was just curious is all i mean i don't i don't yeah. care about either i'm not a prude i was just curious that you both made those things um rich as a colorist what do you try to bring to a project whether it's you know i mean what 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 are you trying to do when you as a colorist i mean do you look for a certain palette do you try to make things stand out even i'm sure you've done some nude stuff before where you color i mean how how do you decide on your coloring of a comic book? Well, I, I think Keith at one point said something. I was really fond of the color purple, and and, and he's not. And I know that <laughs> in the past year or so, purple you added more. You, or, you added like, more purple just to piss. Well, it was off a great people. book and movie. So <laughs> surprised Keith doesn't yeah, like not, it. Not the purple, not the whoopy thing, but uh, you know, oh, actual, okay. you know, chromatic okay. color purple. Um. But I, I think with, with my coloring, I, I work hard and not smart. And I I probably spend more time rendering backgrounds and environments than I should instead of, you know, a, I guess a classically trained artist, which I'm not, would probably say, no, you need to be focusing on, you know, the, the key point of the panel, the picture, you know. And we lost, the, like the, there we go. The focal point, just draw attention to that. But I find I spend I find myself spending a lot of time doing backgrounds and rendering the environment because I think it's for me as a reader, I want that character to be grounded in, in whatever it is that they're doing. Because a, a lot of times and, and I my time doing 
A, a lot of times, um, the writer and the artist get all the credit, and the, we lost Rich again. Poor Rich. Rich will be back. There's Rich. Hi, hey, Rich. Yeah, I am. Do I need to say all that all over again? No, no, no. You're good. We we got it pretty much. We're, it, it, it it'll fly. But no, what I was saying is that a lot of times the writers and the artists get all the credit, and the colorist or the inker or even the letterer don't get recognized for their contributions to the comic book because I believe that you know their input is equally as important. Not that they're more important than a writer, but they get colored over. Actually, they just kind of get you know nobody. So I was excited to have a colorist on here. To explain, hey, a colors is actually extremely important, you know, as part of a comic book, you know, just as much as an anchor or a lever. I don't even call myself a colorist, so you're being very generous. Hey, that's what they told me. I'm just doing the talking points. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a patsy around here. I'm, I'm just trying to run this, this, this circus right now. They told me you're a colorist, so that's an honor. So you should take the colors part. But no, I'm glad that you were able to talk about colors. A lot of fans don't understand the importance of colors and what they do. They just read the comic book like you do. They don't pay attention to the credits. I get that. That's understandable. Like that's fine. Um, Keith and Michael, what type of fans would back your Kickstarter? What would what type of fan would enjoy your Kickstarter campaigns? Uh, Keith, go first. I've been picking on Michael, and I want you to go first this time. Well, I think you know it's a superhero book. Jump is. You know, it's a, it's got the dressings of a superhero book. So I think people that are into big two superheroes, uh, which I've certainly created plenty of those books, uh, would also like this one. I think that people that are just into, you know, good looking art would, would like these books. They're very good. Uh, I think books. I think that people that are into, you know, a little bit of, um, mystery, uh, would dig these books, you know, sci fi. It's, it's, it, I try to appeal to everybody. What about you, Mike? Okay, hey, as as a reader with with Jump, I, yes. I was a big fan. I was a big fan of the Invincible series from Kirkman when it was out. Straightforward superhero action with with comedic elements, some goofy villains here and there, but that are actually dangerous and, and people you know fight, get hurt. So if you were a fan of the Invincible series, I think people will like Jump. There we go. Oh, thanks. I didn't think of that. That was very nice. That was pretty good. You make sure yeah, you give them some you. extra, you know, kudos for that. Michael, what about you? What type of person would enjoy your your Kickstarter? Um, Not that you need it because so you run so many successful Kickstarters. I don't even know why you go on podcast. You stuff just, you know, as we were talking, it's like, you know, we got multi talented Keith here and lawyer Michael's out selling uh, his Kickstarter than poor Keith here. So Michael, what type of family enjoy? Oh, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah well, I, I think superhero books are tougher to sell on Kickstarter. Um, you know, my my Riot Earp and you know and Metalhead have done better. Um they're sci-fi books. Um I mean, look, they're good comics, they're uh they're good for fans of heavy metal, uh good for fans of not safe for work content. Um, fans of great art because, um, you know, Bruno Ideas deserves to be big and he deserves to have a big following. So, hopefully, you know, people should get in on the ground floor of his career and, and start picking up this book now. There you go. Uh, Michael and then Keith, uh, this is something I always ask people Michael, what advice would you give to somebody that's actually thinking about starting their own Kickstarter campaign because you've done several? multiple ones that have been successful what would be your advice um i would say start small um don't spend too much money because it's it's so hard to make money on kickstarter um even if you complete a successful campaign you may wind up losing money you know it's uh it's a marathon not a sprint so you need to take the long view and slowly build up an audience if you expect to eventually make money but I mean, there are comic creators on Kickstarter who are making six figures and then some on their books. So it, it is possible. And that's, you know, what I'm shooting for one day. Excuse me. Keith, same question with you, but you're also a professional um, creator. Does that make a difference with your Kickstarter? So like Steve Rude does stuff, Mike Barron does GoFundMe stuff. Does Somebody that's more name brand, does that make a difference in your Kickstarter campaigns and of making one to be successful? 
so I have this internal debate with myself, actually, like, because all my campaigns are run under the, the new pain uh, banner. And I wonder sometimes if I did them under my own name, if I would draw more attention. I mean, I'm not a huge name in the comic book industry. I'm more of a journeyman that's been around forever. But I do have name recognition that maybe new pain doesn't. I don't know. Um, as far as what advice I would give somebody, um, I always tell people, get the book done first before you before you launch the campaign because you don't want to mess up the fulfillment you want to fulfill on time and you want to build trust um, with your backers so that every time they back your campaign they know you know you're there we're going to get their book uh, in a relatively short amount of time and they can count on it and hopefully if you do that enough times you, you grow here you comes know? the invisible here comes the invisible man the invisible oh. man is back again so there we go hi rich back poor poor rich is having poor internet uh. problems there Anyways, go on. Sorry, it's Keith. my daughter probably watching Netflix and screwing everything up downstairs. <laughs> You're watching Stranger Things. Oh boy, my favorite. Uh, no, so go on. Sorry, it's a segue for you, Keith. Yeah, no. Well, hey, go go spend some money on Dark Horse. Uh, I lost my train of thought. I think what I was going to say was I I would really enjoy, um, career wise, if I could stop doing work for DC and Marvel or Dark Horse or whatever, and just focus on um, this new pain stuff and these Kickstarter books and build it out into something real. And uh, if I could just get to, you know, five or 600 backers consistently every campaign, I think I could make a whole time living at this and pay people pretty well to help me make these books. So, you know, not to wood, it, it, it grows and it becomes that. And if it doesn't, then I'll go back to, you know, doing Green Lantern for 47 times in my life. Mm-hmm. Worst problems to have. Worst things could happen. We have had a very fun conversation. We're going to start wrapping this up. Michael, you... No, we're going to do Rich. Rich, what are your final thoughts and comments today? Since you're the guest of honor. Oh, guest of honor. That's a lot of pressure. Uh, my, my final thoughts and comments are there's a lot of really good stuff on Indiegogo, on Kickstarter. Uh, creators are, in my opinion, just moving more towards that crowdfunding model and you know working for themselves. And there's a lot of good stuff out there that people are probably just overlooking and not seeing because they're not going out there looking for it. It's not on the stands in front of them on Wednesday afternoon when they go to get their new comics. So they're missing out on some good stuff. And I mean, I've worked on a few projects now with Keith, but Jump is actually my favorite one so far of all the stuff I've read and seen and been involved in. So if people sleep on that project, I think they're missing out. And, um, Hey, here's a question for you. Let me ask you a question. Because you're actually, you're the only person so far that's read Jump. Um, Do you have a theory as to how we're going to keep going into number two? Has anything like poked you and said, oh, I bet you this is going to come into play? Well, the only thing that poked me was when you told me how number two was going to take place because you already spoiled it for me. You told me a little little while back what was going to happen in general in number two but i will say that if, if people pick up number one and when they get to the end of that book they're going to be like well crap how do they come back from this it, it is one of those cliffhanger type well how does the book continue when they see the last couple of pages it'll it'll be a little bit of a shock i think to read so rich you know the secret sauce thing behind it so it's a pretty innovative idea i've it? seen the sausage made yeah you made the sausage. <laughs> Someone called me the sausage king of Chicago. <laughs> Let's go to Michael. Michael, what are your closing thoughts today? Uh, please buy my book. Um, yeah, check it out on Kickstarter, and I think you're going to like it. Um, yeah, I, I've actually got people who told me they like number one so much that they're getting multiple copies so that they can give them to friends. So, he should be um, so lo- look at he's just rubbing this into Keith. Just rub- <laughs> look at Keith, just rubbing it in. They're nah, buying nah. it for friends. They're buying it for friends. Thanks. But no, I friends. <laughs> Come on, Michael. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> nah, okay. Um, yeah, and, and like and like yeah, Keith knows the um social media makes it so tough to spread the word. So, you know, we need all the help we can get. Um, so yeah, if anybody can share you know, share the links when they see something come up on uh, Twitter. I refuse to call it X or um, or Instagram or, or, you know, or Facebook. Yeah, do us a favor and, uh, you know, 
spread the word, spread the links, help us out. Keith, you get the last word. Uh, the last word for me, I love making comics. I really do. I love working with people that, uh, that I like. Uh, and I'm lucky to be able to do that on these projects. I think the jump, or I should just say jump, because there is another book called The Jump. Uh, I think jump is uh, one of the best things that I've done so far. I think anyone that reads that book is going to be pulled into the world that we're creating. and They're going to be intrigued as to how we can keep going. Um, I like the invisible analogy. I've never read Invincible, but that, it's very popular. So, you know, if people want to compare mine to that in a favorable way, God bless you. So but Rich, come Rich, along for the, the check will be in the mail, Rich, for you for, for that yeah. little plug. I want some of that curtain money. I want some of that curtain money. I owe Rich money anyway, so I'll throw a little extra in. Uh, you know, but like Mike said, if, if you know, if you don't want to back it, share it. Like tell a friend or, or share a link on your social media. It's the algorithms make it so hard. And the analogy or the story I, I've said a couple of times is I don't even know how the algorithm knows what I'm doing. But if I just post something on my Instagram, you know, I'm not a viral sensation, but I have, you know, a good number of followers. And maybe like 60% of my followers will, will see that post. Um, if I post something for a Kickstarter, um, maybe 20% of my followers will see that post. Like anything that I want to direct out of Instagram to a different website or, a, you know, I want people to pay attention to, uh, they just throttle it. And I don't, I don't even understand how they know what to throttle, but it's very frustrating. And if people want to help us out by backing and or sharing, you know, we really can't make these books without people knowing about them. Rich Stanky, Michael Katz, Keith Champagne, thank you for joining me. I will have all this information in the show notes. This has been a very fun, enjoyable taping tonight. Thank you all for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. having us. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you, fantastic comic fan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.